Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the WHOA GNV Podcast, the podcast bringing businesses and individuals that make you go, whoa. Today, I've invited Gainesville City Commissioner David Ariola to the studio. David was elected in 2017 at the age of 26, making history as the youngest city commissioner ever elected in the city. He, re- he represents District 3, but is also currently serving as the Mayor Pro Tem. David, thanks for joining me today, man. It's good to be here. Thank yeah, I'm, I'm excited to get into this. But before we do... Let me give some love to my friend Jorge at The Best Restoration for being a sponsor of this show all year long. Podcast fam, you need to have friends on your side when disasters happen, when that toilet overflows, when that pipe bursts in the wall, or if you're like us and you move into a building that is full of mold, The Best Restoration is there for you. I can speak firsthand to the quality of their work. I've worked with The Best Restoration team many, many times. These guys are amazing. With their certified tech and state-of-the-art equipment, these guys are the masters of disaster. Give them a call at 352-505-3321 or visit them at thebestrestoration.com. David, you know Jorge, right? I do know Jorge. Yeah? We we go way back. uh, Leadership Gainesville is when we first met. And that was actually back in 2015. Uh, so it really is, the years are starting to tick by. Yeah. Uh, but we've been good friends uh, ever since. He's got an amazing personal story coming to Gainesville uh, and his family, are, are they're just they're just amazing people. It's inspiring, so, right? Yeah. I yeah. love it. He's great. So, actually, yeah. I serve with him now on the board of Family Promise of Gainesville. He joined as a board member uh, after I did because uh, I met another uh, member there, uh, Jane Moraski, who's the executive director. Uh, and so now Jorge and I uh, are board members together um, and he's always thinking of ways to help out either with his business or uh, whether it's, you know, the last thing I heard him talk about was a gift drive for children for Christmas. So this guy's just got the biggest heart. He does, man. He just exemplifies what I want Gainesville businesses to be. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, he just has involved. such a huge heart and he's been such a huge supporter of us and helping us get this off the ground. It's been awesome. Definitely. So, well, great. And uh, man, I'm just excited to kind of dive into a lot of things. I got a lot of questions and, and just to kind of be upfront with you, I even asked, you know, I sent out an email to our newsletter for the podcast and said, hey guys, I'm gonna have David on the show. If you have any questions, send them to me. So I've got some questions from other Gainesville business owners too, and I think it'll be interesting to kind of get into all of this. Uh, But before we do, I really wanna kind of just hear a little bit of your story because you were born and raised in Gainesville, is that right? That's right, born and raised here. Um, It was- uh... You're one of the few that didn't get out. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I did leave for a little bit. Uh, I did did manage to, to, to see uh, other parts of the world, um, but uh, it's it's actually quite an amazing story um, because actually my parents had never planned to come to Gainesville. Um, both of my parents emigrated from Mexico when they graduated uh, uh, from uh, DFE, which is uh, uh, Mexico City. Uh, and they wanted to come to the United States uh, and start their family. My dad wanted to pursue graduate studies uh, and uh, my mom the same. So uh, their first stop was Buffalo, New York. Uh, And of course, as the story goes, uh, the blizzards were too much for them to handle, (laughs) Um, but they had just, uh, uh, my my older brother had just gotten uh, born. And so they were thinking of where where do we go to raise families that's warm? Uh, And as my dad tells me the story, he was walking through this hall and he sees one of those little tabs. This is this is the 90s, so you see these old little tabs that you pull, and it said, nuclear physics program, University of Florida, Gainesville, and the first thing he thinks is, 
what is Gainesville? <laughs> uh, and then, you know, a couple years later, uh, they're living in Cory Village, um, and uh, I was a baby gator, uh, and then uh, my dad got a job up in Pittsburgh, so we went to Pennsylvania for a little while, okay. came back down, because he got another job at UF. Uh, Still I too went cold. To, it was <laughs> Pittsburgh, it was, Buffalo. My mom was not okay with the cold. Uh, uh, but that um, first, that first move when they when they came to the country, like, I mean, is this like throwing a dart at the map? Like, I, I'm so fascinated why people would just choose Buffalo. Well, you know, people people just they, they find something in life that that clicks with them and they just go with it. Okay. Um, so that was for my parents. Uh, and then uh, I had a younger brother, so uh, I'm the the middle child of, of three siblings. Um, all of us first generation Americans. And uh, when we moved back to Gainesville, uh, I, I went to public schools here, Hidden Oak, Fort Clark, graduated Beholtz High School. Uh, but then I, I wanted to leave for college. I, the idea of going to college where I went to high school was was the scariest thing for me. Uh, so I got out and I went to. Uh, Flagler College in St. Augustine, um, where I just uh, had the most amazing uh, experiences, uh, whether it was education, uh, life experiences, uh, or um, just getting to live in the oldest city in the country, uh, beachside. That was really fun, too. So what happened after you graduated? I was actually planning to go to law school. Um, so this is another funny, you know, I, I always use the expression, uh, wings of a butterfly. If a butterfly flapped its wing, what changes in the world? I was planning to go to law school, and I was uh, working at a law firm that hired me after I interned with them uh, at Flagler. And that was the whole plan. I studied for the LSAT, everything was about law school, um, and I had gotten into my safety schools ready to go. Two weeks before, I, I had this sort of uh, moment of, of conscientiousness where I sort of couldn't really figure out, well, I made this plan, but I didn't, I didn't know why I wanted to follow it anymore. Um, and I visited the school and it was great, but wasn't, didn't fall in love with it. Uh, so a couple weeks before I was supposed to go, I, I called them and said uh, they can offer my spot to whoever's on the wait list. Um, and I decided to move back to Gainesville uh, to be closer to my family. I'd, I'd been away for four years at Flagler, and um, in that time, uh, a lot of change had happened, and each one of my family members were sort of talking about potentially leaving Gainesville. So mm. in my mind, I thought, this might be the last time I ever have to live with all of my family in the same city. Uh, I certainly didn't expect that I would move back and run for office. Uh, that wasn't on the on the on the the dial, so to speak. Um, but I started getting involved, uh, just getting involved with Leadership Gainesville, different organizations, and I saw that the Gainesville that I left wasn't the Gainesville that I came back to. Uh, it's one with more opportunity now than there's ever been, more change than there's ever been, and some of that change can be scary. But I think most of it is an opportunity for progress. Um, so I got involved with some campaigns uh, and realized, hey, if if they can get elected then so can I. Uh, so I threw my name in the hat um, and I, I put a lot of, a lot of, <laughs> a lot of shoe work into that campaign. Um, and, you know, thankfully uh, it worked out. Um, because did the you, family end up staying or did they end up dispersing? Some of them, some of okay. them. Yeah, some of them. And, and, you know, it's been, it's been a few years since then. So, um, you know, I've got a, a younger brother in Chicago. Um, my mother, my mother moved to Mexico for a little bit, but now she's back here. Um, and uh, it's just, uh, it's amazing where life will take you. I never imagined that I'd, I'd be here where I am today. So when did you start you know, your term on the city commission? I got elected in March of 2017. Okay, so um, that was a couple of years after? It was, it was about moved, a- When did you move back to Gainesville? The end of 20, it was either the big, uh, that's a good question. 
It was either, I think it was the end of 16. Okay. Yeah, I think it was the end of 16, like middle, maybe summertime. Um, I think I was supposed to be starting, or maybe it was 15. See, this all just yeah. Kind of out, so. <laughs> I know. Gets, uh, it was one of those, uh, but it was very recent after I did after I did move back. Actually, I'm pretty sure it was 15, the end of 15, um, because in 16 I worked really hard on the on the elections and the campaigns there. Um, so it was uh, it was a grind. Uh, anytime, Were you surprised? I mean, at 26 years old to get elected I, I in the city commission. Like, I will tell you this: that um, I had some experience with elections uh, at Flagler. I was a student body president, and I that that's an election too. The, the whole campus votes, um, and that also wasn't part of my plan when I moved to Flagler. So there's sort of a pattern here. Um, I really, really like public service, and I like the position of an elected official because you get to affect so many different issues, um, and it, it, with it comes a bit of bit of scrutiny but i think i've developed this tough skin for it so what i decided was that, to do was that nerve-wracking at first though it was completely nerve-wracking i mean you're putting your name and your face everywhere uh for anyone to have an opinion about you whether they know you or not i mean especially if they don't know you right i think a lot of people are scared about that right like they're really you know not yeah <laughs> trying to get the courage to speak out on yeah. their viewpoint about specific there's a lot of things i mean you don't want to stumble you don't want to misspeak you don't want to say something that might make you sound like you don't know the issues um you don't want people um you know taking to what you say out of context uh you don't want people um really smearing your name i mean all of these things go into because i mean these are rough and tumble i mean politics these days is as you know very very intense uh, and so when you put yourself out there, uh, it it comes with it a little bit of a cost. But I Did think you have the rewards that skin? Sorry. are better. No, you're good. I, the rewards are better. And the thick skin at first uh, sort of didn't come naturally. Um, Just develop over time? It, it really developed over time because I got to see the rewards. At first, you know, not being in office, you don't you don't really get to see from the other side of, 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 of the dais or, or the office the change you're making. And so what I realized was, you know, for every bit of criticism I hear, there's someone encouraging me. Uh, and so I have to learn to take each of it with a grain of salt. You know, when I've got my friends telling me you're doing such a great job, you know, I kind of got to think, all right, well, how much do they, you know, pay attention to what's going on? I appreciate it. Same thing for when someone says you're doing a bad job. How much are they paying attention? Maybe it was one vote I took they didn't like. Maybe it was one stance I took they didn't like. And I just got to take it all in stride. Um, so uh, getting elected in 2017 was, you know, obviously historic. Um, it was a landmark. Um, and I didn't know at the time, actually, the, the city clerk, um, when I went to go turn in my uh, qualification papers, he goes, how old are you? <laughs> and I told him, and he goes, you know, you'd be the youngest ever if you, if you pull this off, right? And I just go... <laughs> Let's go. Is it too late to take that? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> like, let, me, let me reconsider. Yeah, it was it was good fun. Really good fun. The um, In our prelim questions we sit out, like we asked, uh, you know, what were you most passionate about? And mm -hmm. you said inspiring people to believe in each other. Yeah. You know, and that really means a lot to me because that's something that I'm very passionate about. Yeah. And do you just find it so hard like, because right mm -hmm. now, everybody just seems so divided. Yeah. Um, you know, especially as it pertains to politics and the government. I mean, yeah. you know, what are your thoughts on that? Well, it has changed. Uh, when I first got involved, it was not this divisive. Uh, there has been a marked change in the mood in this country over the period of the last three years. Um, even people would say the election of 2016. Um, but 
uh, I think it was much later than that, actually. Uh, I think it was uh, the pressures of the pandemic, um, the string of violence that happened in this country for well over a year. Um, there has been a lot of turmoil and pressure, but all of these things, I think, are really symptoms of the larger cause, which are the problems that we haven't addressed in this country. We have problems with people uh, who don't have enough uh, to put on their table to eat. We have a problem with people uh, who make so much money and really can't figure out how to give it back to people. They can't figure out how to reinvest in the community. Um, We have a problem with a political system, which is pretty much rigged for the 1%. Doesn't matter how you draw it up, whether it's Democrat or Republican, uh, they're both giving money to these parties and they're both doing a really good job of getting policy that helps them. we're seeing a lot of the issues. You want to look at infrastructure. The infrastructure bill that just got passed, the one that was presented by the president was $3 trillion. The one that got passed was $1 trillion. What happened to the rest? So not, not, to, not to harp on the president, but I think that we have a political system in this country that encourages constant turmoil without enough discussion, without enough disagreement, healthy disagreement. Uh, And I think what we see at the end of the day is that people are scared because of the change they see in this country. You look at the signs in this country right now, we've got some of the worst inflation going on, right? We have price increases. Uh, We have uh, a stagnation in in, in wages, a housing crisis. I mean, people talk about all the housing being built in Gainesville. It's actually not keeping up with the population growth that we have in Gainesville. Mm -hmm. So when you look at all these challenges, these are all very real personal problems for people. And so when you add that into the rancor of politics and why you should vote for this person over that person, and we're talking margins of maybe a few thousand votes in some of these elections, it gets really, really dicey. You know, it's funny because I've really started to take this podcast as an initiative to have more of that discussion because what the I've been in social media for so long, right? I built my business on the background of social, on, you know, on the backbone of social media. I had Facebook in 2004 when Facebook came out and you had to have a ufl.edu email address to access it. Like I... I really got in there and understood. And what's so interesting to me is that I know I know that social media is going to feed me more and more and more mm-hmm. of what I'm engaging with and yeah. what I'm seeing with and you know and seeing. So there's this constant polarization in social media that's you know if and, and we talked about this on the show before. You know if you had some crossover between red and blue, it's just for getting more and more and more polarized. And that's that's really the fear that I have when it comes to online media. Um, And I'm just like, you know what? I think we can start to have more discussion. Like there's a lot of people I disagree with and and I'll be super transparent, right? You and I, we've had discussions on Instagram and stuff. Like we're very different, but at the same time, I'm like, you know, I can still love this guy and respect this guy for who he is and, and what he's doing and, and his heart and his passion for Gainesville and find common ground. I feel like there's no finding common ground anymore. And it's really frustrating to me because I feel like when I get to know somebody really well, I find common ground with them. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And, and it isn't just partisan. Uh, we're seeing these divisions uh, culturally um, we're seeing these divisions happen within the parties. Um, even if you know, if you look at uh, how how people are treated within the political parties, it's it's also very, uh, I would say, um, it's a lack of compassion. Uh, and the problem is finding common ground is only the first step, right? And so people are having a hard time even taking that first step. 
because these are hard conversations because we do have to address these problems. And I think I think Americans Americans still have a very, very strong uh, tie to their Puritanism roots. Everything has to be authentic in America. <laughs> Everything has to be pure. And so so do our arguments, right? We have to be real when we're talking. Uh, and so sometimes that can lead to some tension, but when we wanna see solutions, we're so passionate about the solutions that we wanna see. And so there's a couple of things that I think are really key. Number one, I think is learning how to have respectful conversations is the first thing. Uh, there are some, sometimes where I just scratch my head at comments that are made, really, really bad comments. And it's almost like, well, this clearly isn't a discussion. Um, but at the same time, that is happening more and more. In person or online? Oh, online is a given, man. Right. I mean, <laughs> like that's the thing, given. like so much, like on online people, uh, have digital courage. They just they just get on there and they just say whatever they want. It, and I've used this as an example before. If you've ever been in business and had a bad customer experience or customer service thing, you know I, I've received emails from people where they're like, "I can't believe it. they're like literally yelling at me via email." Yeah. Right. But I pick up the phone and I call them, and guess what? They're not yelling at me anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Right, and then I'm able to have a conversation and to get to the root of the problem and solve the problem. And that's just missing because of social media and comments and this digital courage that exists. Yeah, I uh, it's 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 funny. Um, I'm 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 like you. I sort of I used to I used to use that. Oh, I was an OG Facebook user, but it's it's not really a flex anymore. So I was <laughs> like, so I thought to myself. How you know how how have I sort of changed my usage of, of social media and 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 the answer is I, I have really really dialed back not not my my messaging on social media you know you, you have to the get your ones. message out there um, what I have done is I basically stopped uh, engaging with people who aren't interested in in a dialogue people who aren't interested in a conversation and that's really easy to tell uh, based on how comments are written. Uh, and and how people sort of engage and and you know it's it's okay to disagree. Uh, I where I I have a very high standard for decorum, um, both uh, in person and and online. So if I think that people you know really aren't having that uh, you know that decorum, you know, is it, that it needs to be handled differently? Is that why the city has recently? like taking comments away from Facebook posts I and stuff. I wasn't aware of that. I, I uh, read that the school board did that. Um, but I thought but that was the because city did it as well. I, well, I'm, but I don't know. Like I, I would, I would never have to be in charge of those accounts. Um, <laughs> <laughs> point blank. Yeah. I, I think, I think that there is a, there's also an increase in, in, in threatening behavior. Um, you know, and, and, and I know colleagues of mine who, who have been threatened, um, you know, I uh, am aware of uh, threatening things that have been said about me or to me. Um, you know, but does that I, shake you at all? I mean, especially in a world like today. I mean, I had a I, I have I had a friend um, who served um, overseas, and he used to tell me, "America is the only country where people think that politics isn't violent. America is the only country where people think that politics isn't putting your life on the line." And so he looked me dead in the eye and he said, if you're in this game, you better understand that that's what you're signing up for. And so uh, I take that very closely to heart. But I think that this country uh, takes that for granted. Um, I understand that um, we are the oldest constitutional democracy, but we are not the first democracy. There have been democracies thousands and thousands of years ago uh, who had their day in the sun and they lost it. 
Uh, and so this country has to believe in itself and has to understand that there is no solution to be found in violence, particularly political violence. And we have to find uh, appreciation for the fact that in this country, uh, we do not stand for political violence. And every time you see instances of it, whether it is um, uh, 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 mobs of violence or whether it's uh, a coward with a gun, uh, we have to stand up against that and we have to speak out against that and we have to show courage against that because there are other countries where, um, you know, it, it hurts me to say, but um, there is no politics without bullets. Uh, and I believe it was one of our presidents who said the ballot is more powerful and we have to continue to believe that. That's good. Um, I want to dive into a couple of specific topics now. Uh you know, a couple of weeks ago, we had a firefighter on the show mm-hmm. that was standing against the city's push for a vaccination mandate. Mm-hmm. And super nice guy. Um, and I definitely wanted to get the other perspective. I think, mm-hmm. you know, what I would love, and I'm kind of putting this out there to everybody, what I would love is to find people who are on opposite sides, who have a different perspective, to come in here and sit with me at the same time. I think that would be super interesting. It might take some time to build up to that, but right. but for now I'm thinking, okay, if I have somebody who, if I get one side, let me let me get the other side, sure, um, and maybe it helps somebody. It provides benefit. Like I don't know, man. I'm well, part close. of my job is uh, every Thursday to listen to public comment and to hear people's concerns. So I'm I'm very used to having having those dialogues. Okay, um, but um, yeah, this is obviously a, a very sensitive topic. I think that uh, the pandemic uh, caught everyone uh, by surprise and changed our lives in ways that no one expected. Uh, and so immediately um, we began to see uh, not just our, our work lives, but our personal lives changed very dramatically by actions that the government took, or as I like to couch it, the government did not take. This whole thing could have been beaten, but it wasn't because the governments of the world did not act quickly enough and they did not act sincerely enough. I understand the perspective that we have a, a, a duty to give people freedom of choice, and we do in this country. And by my asking employees to get vaccinated, I'm not violating that freedom. They have a choice. They can choose to continue to do what they're doing. They can choose to protect people by getting vaccinated or they can choose the alternative. Now, the one thing that I wanna make very clear is that I am comfortable having a disagreement on whether or not that should be a condition of employment. What I am not having uh, comfortable having a, a discussion on is the efficacy of vaccines because this debate has been used as an opportunity to disparage the efficacy of vaccines and the safety that they provide for people who take them. But isn't it, isn't it fair to question the efficacy of this vaccine? Which one? The COVID-19 vaccine. There's because three that have been given all, full-fledged. All three. They're, I, they're, more, they're more effective than, than flu shots. In fact, I think it's more fair to call it a COVID shot, right? When I think of the word vaccine, I think that it- You think erad- of the polio vaccine. I think of it eradicating. You think you know, of the funny. polio vaccine. That's what you think I'm of. Something like a polio vaccine. Yeah. You know, all the vaccines that you That's have why is- we don't have childhood polio anymore because we had vaccination for polio. This vaccine, it, it feels, you know, you're gonna hear like it was super rushed. That's not it, true. It, it went through every single scientific study that was necessary. There were friends of mine who were part of the trials for these vaccines. 
it's not an experimental vaccine if it goes through trial and experimental period and then is released to the public. But we, we don't know long-term data because there is none. Like this has sort of been, a straw man this, argument, this isn't been, it? Because well, I mean, it hasn't because, been around because, for a long time. Sure. So when something new comes out, you don't have any data on it long term. But I mean, the fact of the matter is when you go through these trials and you see the vaccine uh, efficacy and you see how protective it is, what you come to at the end of the day is you come to realize that all these vaccines are 90, 95, 98 percent effective. And the Delta variants and the different what, variants which have come in, in terms of in terms of protecting people from the severity of the COVID nineteen infection. So, okay, but we but we know at this point that you can still get COVID. Sure, and you can still spread it. Sure, but even the, if you've been vaccinated. So all we're the all we're saying high likelihood the, the, all it does of at getting point, hospitalized. Is, 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 is not only reduced, but it's more prominent among unvaccinated folks. The people who are still going to the hospital with COVID-19 now, and, and, and let's be very clear, <laughs> while we have these debates, doctors and nurses are fighting to save lives. And they have been doing that for two whole years. And this country has to give gratitude to them. Whenever we go to the hospital, yeah, do Shans we question- is now telling nurses do and doctors get, who don't want to get the vaccine that they are that they might not have a job in December. Do the we same, question, The same people that were the heroes a year ago are now being told, you're not gonna have a job, you have to get vaccinated by December Do we question the medicine that is. is given us when we go to the emergency room? Do we question where it came from? Do we question uh, who did the studies for certain medication that we receive? We don't. Why are we doing it for this vaccine? And it's because COVID-19 treatment was politicized. I mean, I definitely think there's some truth to the fact that it's been politicized, but I also think that's only to a degree. And what I mean by that is that this is not a you know Republican saying not to get vaccinated. I know plenty of Republicans that no, I don't think it's partisan at all. President Trump was the one who launched the vaccine initiative, and President Biden is, so is when, continuing to So what do you mean it go. it's gotten politicized then, if that's not the case? I think that people have decided to selectively choose one bit of information over the other. I think that people have decided that they're going to criticize vaccine studies and doctors and medical professionals on this one instance instead of every other bit of medicine they've taken. And now there is a subset of people who absolutely reject Western medicine as a whole. Uh, I know people who completely reject all Western medicine. Um, if you walk the walk and you talk the talk, then I suppose you've got a point. Uh, but for folks who have taken Tylenol, Advil, I mean, I don't, I have never heard any, any entreaty, any inquiry into where that comes from and how that study is done. And so now that we're seeing it for COVID vac for the COVID-19 vaccines, I think what you're seeing is a, uh, a really growing sentiment of anti-vaccination, which has been growing in this country really since the Cold War. Uh, and the fact that this country has long had uh, mandates for vaccines for children when going to public schools, to not just to protect the child, but to protect the child's classmates. That's really what this all comes down to. So, um, you know, there's really no world in which the COVID vaccines are not effective. <laughs> They're, <laughs> They're not effective. Um, you know, that world just doesn't exist. I would disagree. 94% um, of people being hospitalized are unvaccinated right now. Yeah, we are sitting at the lowest amount of COVID cases we've had 
I mean, I think we're at like 2%. That's a very cynical outlook when you consider all the people who've passed. And when you consider all of the infections that have happened before, it's been two years. So now because we're at a, because we're at a low point after two years no, of death and despair, it's all of a sudden good? No, I'm just saying that this, this has been put, why are we pushing a vaccine that so hard? I, I don't understand the push, I guess. Why are we pushing this so hard for a virus that has a 99% survival rate? And now we're pushing it to children Right, pushing it to children, and it works. the but I mean the data doesn't back it up. It data, really, it really, it really. There's six hundred. I, I looked this up the other day. Six hundred and eighty-two kids have died of COVID since the beginning of the pandemic. Most of those had underlying issues already, and you're talking about six hundred eighty-two kids out of six point five million cases in children. Like it's it's such a small amount, and and I get like it it's terrible that anybody would die from it, but that to me doesn't say we need to vaccinate all the children from COVID nineteen. I think that if you are looking at it from the perspective of infection rates and how many people who catch this infection then have severity and are hospitalized or are killed, I think you're looking at it from the wrong perspective. I think you have to look at it from the perspective of what are the consequences if we do nothing? What are the consequences if we don't protect people? Um, and so uh, you can point to whatever data you'd like, but there still remains the fact that these vaccines have proven to be over 90% effective, every single one of them. At reducing Hospitalization symptoms, and, and, and cases of death. I just think there's a lot more to be figured out here before we start mandating vaccines because I'm I'm a pro freedom guy. Like that's just in my core. I understand the long-term uh, effects of telling people you have to get a vaccine for yeah. co- you know like I, I I start to get worried. I think that's I start to get so, worried so about let me ask the, you, so the let me little, ask you a question the little bits of freedom that we start to give up over time and what that could do long-term when it comes to you know, government, whether left or right. Like I, I want the government to have as least amount of power as possible. Um, sure. And I think that's where, I think that's where this things. fear, I think where this fear comes from is giving up so much freedom over time. Little bit, little bit, little bit adds up to a lot. And we're still telling people that they have to inject something into their body that we don't know long-term the impact. I mean, it's not the same. To, it's not you, the same as the other to, vaccines. You, Everybody wants to point out that it is the same as the. Uh, uh, it's like, oh, it's another vaccine, mm-hmm. but it's just not. If anything, it is more like a COVID shot because now we're telling all the people who have been vaccinated that they have to go get another booster to be considered vaccinated. So it's more of like a, a flu shot, isn't that fair? Because it hasn't eradicated anything. It hasn't eradicated COVID. If any, it's more like a flu shot. So we should call it a COVID shot. We should call it what it is. And the people who want to get the COVID shot should go get the COVID shot, be protected. If you get the COVID shot, you're protected. If you know if somebody's not vaccinated, well, you're protected, you are vaccinated, right? Isn't that the point of a vaccine is to protect you? Was there a question in that? Yeah. I mean, is it, I, I'm just uh, like, isn't that correct? Tell, is that correcting, is that thinking not correct? If somebody is vaccinated and I'm not, and I have COVID, but you're vaccinated. Aren't you protected? 
it's about the exponential threat of SARS-2. Do you remember SARS-1? The big danger was everyone was afraid if SARS-1 got out, it would completely change the landscape of the world. So SARS-2 got out. And now we have to live with it for the rest of our lives. And there could be more variants. There could be more danger. But that's so that there already is. There, there's already more variants. Right. I, I've seen a panel of doctors right. talking about the fact that this COVID vaccine is for two variants ago. It's like, it's like taking a flu shot that was four years old. Like I've, I've had, like I'm listening, that where I'm getting my information from, just so people know, like I'm not just making this stuff up, like I seek information. I am look, I'm going to doctors and to nurses and, and hearing you know, ra- round, round tables. And I, I definitely try to stay off ma- major media outlets. I try to get into where people are having conversations, real doctors. Mm-hmm. And, and I watch one, I can share it with you, like I can send it to you and let you listen to it. It was one that was like 45 minutes long. I had a panel of doctors who mm-hmm. got into all of this kind of stuff. Well, I would be interested um, if any of that has look, made it into a. Pe- sorry, I don't mean to cut you off. I was just gonna say, like, I'm not here to like try to change your mind or anybody else's mind. Mm-hmm. I'm just at a place where I want everybody to be. I, my word has been peace. If you're at peace because you got the COVID vaccine, great. If you're not at peace, if there's something stirring inside of you about getting it or giving it to your kids, then don't then don't do it. You should have the freedom to choose that, to make that decision. And we're trying to take it away from people. Couple of things that come to my mind. Uh, the first thing that would, would come to my mind is, you use the word freedom a lot. Uh, currently, right now in Tallahassee, Ron DeSantis is talking about uh, putting into law a complete ban on any vaccine mandate for a business or a government. So now if a, an employer had customers who said, well, I wouldn't come to your business uh, unless um, there was an instance where a yoga instructor instructor, uh, wanted to offer a vaccine-only classes. That would be a freedom of choice. You're vaccinated, you can go and attend the vaccine-only class. She's being fined by the state of Florida several thousands of dollars for each day that she has that class because people are in violation of the governor's law. Do so you not consider that just another I, form of discrimination? I don't, are we I don't discriminating that, against vaccination now? Or, I'm sorry. I don't think that it's about freedom. I think it's about control. And I think that people are afraid of being told to go and get uh, a vaccine because they don't want to. Um, and the other thing that comes to my mind is I have spent a lot of time uh, reading peer-reviewed medical journals over vaccine ef- effectiveness. That's really where the information should be gotten because that's where medical progress is made. That's where we have made progress in terms of cancer treatments, in terms of any kind of treatments. That's where we get our progress is from peer-reviewed medical journals. Um, while we all hope that doctors are all supposed to be uh, telling the truth and are all supposed to be um, giving sound information, um, this country and many countries have histories where doctors have violated their oaths and have given false information, have spoken falsely and have done really inhumane things and, and, and tests and things like that. So I would say that that's where data should be gotten from, is, is from peer-reviewed medical journals, uh, and that's how we got to where we are today uh, with our medicine that really saves lives. So um, that, that's where, when the city's making decisions on 
whether or not to try and push a vaccine mandate, it's coming from those medical journals. It's like where, like I guess, where do you guys oh. get your data when you're trying to make those kind of decisions? From the leading epidemiologists uh, at UF Health, we had a, a, a chief uh, medical advisor um, during the pandemic. Um, I think that uh, listening to these medical professionals has been the best key in terms of understanding both the coronavirus and understanding the effectiveness of these vaccines. How do you feel like the city of Gainesville handled just COVID in general? I mean, from start to finish. Mm. You know, I think of that a lot. And I think of uh, some of the phone calls I made when I was watching this unfold in Wuhan, China first, and then seeing it come to the United States. And I think about how nobody took it seriously. Nobody imagined that something would travel half the world away and kill hundreds of thousands of their countrymen and women. No one imagined that. And the minute that it broke in the state of Florida, I'll give Governor Ron DeSantis one bit of credit. He did the right thing for the wrong reason, but he let local governments make decisions for their localities. Without that authority, which he then promptly took away, of course, months later, right before SEC football, I think that we did a really, really good job because the first thing we did was we warned people about the danger of COVID-19. The second thing we did was we took input and listened to what people wanted. And immediately we realized that the steps that were taken by the federal government to completely shut down the country were too heavy handed. We needed to allow people to operate the economy in a safe manner. But what was the best way to do that while protecting lives and saving people? We had to encourage things like social distancing. We had to encourage things like mask wearing. And when the vaccines became available, we had to encourage those as well. But I think that at the time, these decisions were being made very quickly. They were being made <laughs> through the ugly portal of Zoom. Yeah. Uh, but I think we did the best we could. And if you look at any, any statistic, if you wanna look at the ones that you have pointed out to, infection rates, uh, the number of people who have died. Alachua County did the best in the state of Florida, and I'm very proud of that. Yeah, I don't envy having, I don't envy, envy you guys having to make those decisions because, I mean, with very limited data and having to get as much as you can in the moment and, and make the decisions, I definitely know it's it's tough to make those kind of calls, especially when it comes down to shutting shutting down businesses and everything else. What kind of role has faith played in your leadership? Because I read on your the profile on the city uh, page that you you attend Holy Faith Catholic Church. Uh, Saint Augustine's okay. um, is where I is where I go now. Okay. Um, uh, really, the best thing about being Catholic is that there's always a service going on somewhere. Uh, <laughs> so I really just kind of you know pick and choose. Um, but faith has been an integral part of my life. Um, there are uh, aspects of my life that I don't expect people who don't have faith to understand, and, and really people who do have faith, I don't expect them to understand. Um, but what I know uh, is that uh, the teachings of Jesus Christ and the teachings of the Bible uh, are inherently good and inherently part of a truth. So for me personally, uh, I spend a lot of time in prayer. I spend a lot of time um, focusing on uh, what what is my purpose in life? Um, but I think that for people who uh, tend to make faith a center point of their life, I think oftentimes we focus too much on talking about faith rather than living faith. Because I don't have to be understood by the world 
for me to understand my faith in God, and certainly not vice versa. Yeah, I mean, I look at this pandemic, and that's all I saw was a lack of faith. Like, and maybe maybe that goes to the root of a lot of my, you know, where where I'm drawing a lot of, you know, just my angst about mandates and a lot of these other things is I'm just like, man, there's just, there's so much fear. There's so much fear. I, I see it in people's eyes. I saw it in, I was watching the school board meeting last week and these, and these parents getting up, like just so, they were just so scared. Like they're literally, literally shaking. Like talking about the, the, just having this fear of taking a mask off their child. And, you know, I'm just like, man, I, I feel for them, I want to help them because I want them to have the faith that I have. And I think I'm trying to navigate that. I'm trying. I'm really trying to navigate that as a leader because I believe that the more people that can come to Christ and have that level of faith, the stronger we're gonna be as, in, well I know as individuals, but as a community, as, as a country, I don't wanna see the fear in people's eyes like I saw in some of those people in that in that meeting and and you know and you'll and you'll hear it you'll hear it in social media like everywhere right like faith over fear faith over fear I've definitely been a faith over fear uh mindset for sure like I'll say it right here and right now like if Jesus took me home today I know I'm good I know where I'm going <laughs> I hope that I get to stay here for a long time and have the impact that I believe God wants me to have on this world um, as a leader, I think I think conversations like this are a big a big piece of it. I'm encouraged when I like get on, you know, the city of Gainesville website and I read a profile and I see that and I see that like clear as day that you know here, here's somebody who uh, you know attends service is a believer. Um, so I was just I was just super curious as to how that affects the way you make decisions as a leader. Hmm. Well, I, I think that um, there are so many things that can affect the decisions of a leader. Uh, and most of it depends on the situation, right? What is the issue? What are the challenges being faced? Um, for me, faith is more of a, a rock. Faith is where I go home to. Faith is what gives me strength. Fear is just one emotion. There are many emotions that Jesus Christ felt. That's why he had to come and be in the body of a human being, right? Because he had to feel the emotions that human beings feel, that you and I feel. Um, and so, um, you know, it's okay to be afraid sometimes, but you can't let the fear win all the time. But you can't always be so haughty and full of yourself that you can not be humble enough to experience fear. Uh, but we just have to make sure that we understand that uh, there's actually a, re a really good uh, homily was given uh, just this past uh, uh, Sunday, which talked about you know, you have to be detached from the world in a way. You have to live in the world without quite living in the world. You have to enjoy the world without quite enjoying it. Mourn without quite mourning. Uh, and to really understand that, you have to dive into the scriptures, of course. You have to really experience faith for yourself. So um, for me, uh, you know, I think that uh, I sort of laugh whenever I hear politicians say, God has told me that this is the way. Um, I, I'd like that line if anybody's got that direct line. Uh, but uh, for me, it is more of a, a center of who I am, and it's what gives me uh, the uh, sort of stability uh, to have uh, 
that I need to get into this job. How do we not let decisions be based on fear? Because I feel like that's what happened a lot throughout the last year. Well, it's different degrees. I, I think that I think that when you look at a, a virus that is so deadly, and and we can peel away and talk a little bit more about some of the political unrest in the country. I think that uh, for some people, you ha- it's the fear of climate change. It's the fear of this planet uh, heading towards a completely uh, uh, almost extinction level events. I mean, we're seeing birds, we're seeing all kinds of animals perish in, 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 in numbers that we've never seen before. Whole species are going extinct. And that is a fear that people have. But you see people have courage to stand up and say, what are the things we have to do to address that? And so I think that as long as we are focusing on the challenges, not allowing too much emotion, we're humans, it's okay to have emotions. But I think that if we focus on the challenges and take into account things like uh, believing in principles. So freedom is an important principle for America. And I think that as long as we believe in our freedom as, as a country, I think that we are believing in a strong principle, but also democracy. So understanding that we do have to come to some set of terms uh, and it cannot be just the majority rules all and it cannot just be um, the will of, uh, of, uh, of, of one political party. Uh, so we have to find ways to get back to a, a, a bipartisan and, and democratic way of making decisions. Um, but I think that the most important thing for us to focus on is those challenges. And these are hard conversations. So learning how to have the hard conversations and then understanding how to focus on each individual aspect of the challenges that face us. Um, I was having a conversation earlier today about housing in Gainesville and how uh, rent is going up in Gainesville. Housing prices are going up. Um, Folks who bought their house at one price five years ago are now, they can't believe the offers they're getting for their house right now, right? And you know, I think you and I both know that's a bubble waiting to burst. But the fact of the matter is all of this new housing in Gainesville is in the long run going to be good for Gainesville because it's going to free up that middle housing. It's going to free up the the lower income housing for more people to live in. But our population is growing so much that even this boom in housing development is not addressing the whole population boom. And that's a tough challenge to have because people love, people love little old Gainesville. They love it. And it's not going anywhere. People always always tell me that they're afraid that this city is going to become like Miami or Jacksonville. And I just think, have you been there recently? Because this city is headed nowhere near that direction. Uh, but I think that as long as we're focusing on the challenges, I think we're going to be all right. And let me use that as an opportunity to kind of transition to some of the questions that I received from sure. others. Can you explain the process of what happens when discussions start around increasing GRU rates? Uh, yeah. You know, what factors lead to getting it on the agenda and why the decision to increase rates? Well, when I first got to GRU, and, and I've had plenty of time to, to, to think about GRU, it was the major issue the moment I got in. The, the, the day that I got elected, well, actually the, the week that I got elected, the city commission was having a debate about offering to buy out the uh, purchase of the uh, formerly uh, Gainesville Renewable Energy Center, now renamed Deerhaven, um, more commonly known as the biomass plant. Uh, and so the minute I got on the commission, I had this $750 million sale offer that I had to vote on. 
And so uh, immediately I had to begin speaking to people who've been involved in this on both sides, talking to people, what's the history of this? And, and it basically all boiled down to a contract that uh, was really bad for the city uh, and, and ended up uh, requiring the city pay more money uh, for power that it was or wasn't using. Um, and so also at the time, natural gas prices were a little bit artificially low. We're now seeing that, uh, that, that increase. Um, so right from that get-go, the situation I faced was, GRU running out of cash in five years. That was the situation I faced. So I made the decision, why don't we take a $3 billion problem that I didn't create? They signed that contract when I was in high school. Why don't I turn that into a $1 billion problem? And we'll work from there. So since then, we've had a number of refinancing tools. We've had a number of opportunities to lower rates. After that purchase, we lowered rates 12%. And that basically reset their trajectory that we were on. So we no longer have the highest utility rates in Florida the the way that we did back in, in 2016. So we fixed that problem. But the issue is GRU is not seeing an increase in its actual customers. So the Gainesville population is growing, but the actual number of GRU customers is not growing. Um, which might seem counterintuitive, yeah. but it's basically, I mean, it's basically the fact that the the territory is not expanding. They're not adding new GRU lines, uh, essentially. But also we've gotten really good at conservation. Uh, more and more people are aware of how much power they use and how to save on their utility bill. So you're seeing more of that. they kind of have to. <laughs> the, rates also, keep, the rates keep going up. They turn the AC off. <laughs> it's also, it's also, it's also. I think good practice. I think people people are aware of how to be conservative in their in their home. Um, but essentially, we've we've reached a place where you know I I have to make a decision for my term in office, and and I think this is another thing that um, I want the public to understand about elected officials. The decisions we make today, sure they have an impact this year, sure they have an impact next year, but they have impacts ten, fifteen. 20, sometimes even 30 years down the road. And so the situation that I am in is my legacy has to be leaving GRU in a better place than I found it. My legacy has to be leaving it in a better situation. And I believe I've done that. We did not raise rates every single year. I've really tried to stagger. And so one year we have no increases. One year we have to uh, do a little bit. Um, And right now we're in a situation where last year we had no increases in property taxes, no increases in any of the GRU rates. And that was because uh, we thought that the economic hardship of the pandemic was enough to put on the people's lives. Um, And so this year there is going to be a a bit of an increase. But I don't think that it's uh, I don't think that it's necessarily um, going to be uh, something that you see in perpetuity. I think we're just we're trying to guide the utility have a really tough time right now. Yeah. It just sometimes it feels like it because as a small business owner, there is a lot of discussion over the last couple of years with the minimum wage increase, right? And now on this progression to getting fifteen dollars an hour, it's like, man, we're getting everybody's getting to fifteen dollars an hour, but then they're just gonna have to spend it on higher utilities. Yeah, yeah. that's just that's like the mindset. That's the way people feel. Well, and, and, and inflation and everything else, exp- mm-hmm. expenses are through the roof. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how how about the, is one of the questions was. Why is it that the city commissioners don't seem to focus on saving money? You know, like, can you give an example of how the city commissioners actions oh, have yeah. saved money for the taxpayers? <laughs> yeah, actually, I've got some really good ones. Okay. So we came up with this really brilliant uh, program. Actually, you mentioned you had a firefighter on. Uh, it's called the Community Resource Paramedic Program, where we empowered uh, folks in GFR to really begin to look at the granular level of 911 calls. And what they found was that there was some frequent users of the 911 system. 
And there were some people who were calling 911 40 times a year. I mean, I'm not making this up. It's some serious users of the 911 system. And so we empowered uh, community resource paramedics to actually go and talk to these people and find out what is going on. Like most people don't have to use an ambulance once a year. You're using it 40 times a year. And what we found out wasn't wasn't necessarily a medical problem. It was some kind of a social problem. Either it was the fact that for in one person's instance, um, they didn't have a bar in their shower, so they would slip. So we empowered them to actually go and install a bar in their shower. For one gentleman, it was that he didn't have the uh, the right ramp size for his wheelchair to come down from from his home. And so we empowered them to go and install an appropriate ramp size for this gentleman. So we were able to reduce 911 calls by for these folks by 68%, which was a savings to the taxpayer in the tune of a quarter million dollars. And this was a brand new program. So we're looking to scale this program up. There's more people that I think we need to find, more people that I think we need to help. And ultimately, that is a savings to the taxpayer. Um, there's another program that we started, which was uh, uh, a partnership between the Gainesville Police Department and uh, Meridian uh, Behavioral Health Services. Um, I, I think that uh, one of the most important discussions we don't have in this country uh, is about mental health and what happens when you don't treat mental health and what happens when you don't give people that access. So we found that there was a lot of people who were being uh, arrested and incarcerated uh, who weren't actually committing a crime until there was some sort of aggravation involving uh, a 911 call or or, or some type of uh, an altercation that happened after the call, right? And so now we have, uh, uh, and I've actually met these officers, we have a mental health specialist traveling with uh, a police officer and two patrols, and what they have managed to do is they've managed to intervene and help people get access to uh, to to crises hotlines and crises uh, uh, treatment when they're going through this, and we've been able to reduce incarceration for these folks by, I want to say it was about two thirds, something like that. And these are pilot programs. Can you imagine if this became the standard in this country? Can you imagine the amount of money that would be saved in healthcare? The amount of money that would be saved in the police budgets if we were to actually treat people like human beings instead of like dollar signs? That's the conversation we need to have. Yeah, I have other questions and I kind of wish I could stay on these topics and get, go deeper, but we're running short on time, so. I'm well, there's an opportunity to continue uh, supporting these programs. Uh, we did introduce them in our budget. Um, we did put them uh, up for uh, funding through Tallahassee, through the state government, uh, and they actually got through the legislature, but then uh, Ron DeSantis vetoed it. So I can't speak to that, but there is always going to be an opportunity to push for this. What are the top priorities for city government right now? I would say right now the top priorities are housing. Uh, we have a housing crisis in this in this city. I think that we need more affordable housing. Uh, in in my view, uh, the second issue for me personally is uh, uh, how we're raising our young people in this city. I think that there needs to be an emphasis on uh, youth services, youth programming, um, and really giving uh, not just children, but really school age, grade school kids, um, and really also helping college students to experience the city around them and helping them get connected more to Gainesville. I think that uh, we do have a large retirement community, but one of the largest age groups uh, in Gainesville is uh, 16 to 24. 
Uh, and so really getting our young people more involved, I think, is another huge challenge because um, uh, America is a country that values youth uh, and there's just so much that they can do for this city. And I think finding ways to get them involved, not just volunteering, uh, but also helping them get the right jobs, helping them get the right impact in their community, helping them to understand the neighborhoods they're moving into if they're from out of town or something like that. Uh, I think those are really important things to do as well. Um, and the other thing is, how do we continue to uh, improve the economic opportunity in the city? Um, I had a conversation with a gentleman uh, who had left Gainesville 25 years ago. He said he came back and there's more opportunity now than there has ever been. And I think we need to listen to people who talk like that because if we can create uh, a sort of entrepreneurial um, mindset, if we can support people who want to have business here in Gainesville, uh, and really help them make connections. And uh, that's why I was involved with Leadership Gainesville because I really wanted to help make those connections. Uh, I think we can see a lot of really amazing things for people. But why does Gainesville have the stigma of being anti-business? I've heard that a couple of times. I've not experienced it myself. Um, there's plenty of business that comes through City Hall, uh, plenty of uh, business that, uh, that, that gets done in this city. Uh, I think the reason why you hear that is because it isn't the number one conversation we're, hap- we're having, right? People, I think, get tired of um, the parks conversation. We have some of the most amazing parks in this city. We're all very proud of it. Um, you know, it's almost like uh, when you talk about your strengths too much, begins to be a bit of a weakness, doesn't it? So I think that people feel that way because it's just not the first thing uh, that you hear. Um, But also I I think by and large, that's sort of changing. Um, There has been uh, significant business progress in the last five years uh, that I'm aware of since I've been elected. Um, And I know that was starting before I got here. So um, Gainesville's becoming more competitive. uh, And at the end of the day, that's only going to continue. How do you think we could be more competitive though? How, do we, how can we get more businesses to come right here? That's a good question. I think there's a couple of couple of things. So number one, I think the city government can do a better job of having incentives for businesses. I think that um, when we talk about all of the housing that's being built or when someone uh, invests in a, in a local business, I think we can look at things like um, uh, benefits, whether it be uh, helping the area around them. So we had a community reinvestment area, uh, which is basically some of the, we, you took the top top of the, you basically shaved off the top of the property taxes that got uh, uh, in this district, and you would use that money and reinvest it directly in that area to either make it look nicer, for some areas it was streets, for some areas it was lighting. Um, I think that is one thing. So using some of that top tax, uh, tax dollars to basically pay back into the business districts to help them improve the quality of their areas, because everybody knows it's all about location, right? So if you improve the location, you're gonna improve the quality of those businesses. I think the other thing we can offer is incentives for um, businesses that have specific needs. So I know that there's a lot of uh, startups that wanna get started here in this uh, in this city. Uh, I think we can have conversations about what exactly do they need? Is it office space? So you know, UF obviously has a lot to say about that, but it's mostly for their students. Um, but I think the city could get involved in those conversations. I think creating spaces where people can actually have um, business opportunity, whether it's in the arts or whether it's in uh, retail, actually having those spaces and leasing out city space. So one thing that we've done is we've basically given a policy that if the city has any empty space, whether it's a city building or if the city has any vacant lots, that that is to be surplus to the public, which is basically if someone can come up with a really good use for that, we'll basically give it to them for free. But it has to be a public use. I'm not looking to give corporate giveaways, but 
generally this land is usually small enough to where the corporate interests aren't quite there. Um, but uh, we were able to uh, offer a lease to um, a, um, they call themselves the How Bazaar. It's sort of a, a play on, on, on the Middle Eastern uh, uh, bazaars that are very famous in, in, in those areas. And it's basically the idea that, you know, people go and have co-assignments and it's basically created this really cool uh, ecosystem of people like sharing businesses in this uh, in this space. Um, anyway, they just moved uh, downtown and, and it was a city space and it was a city lease that we offered them. So I think the city government can do more, but it's all about, as with most things in business, finding the right opportunities. Yeah, one of the things that I hear quite often is how expensive downtown is. You know, there's this, this focus on you know, well, I guess a lot of people really love that downtown environment and would love to have their companies down there, but they always complain about how expensive it is. Yeah. Not that I don't know if there's anything you guys can do about it, but I, like, about, I hear I hear complaints about downtown rents as well. Yeah. Um, and and really, I think those those owners need to need to understand that you know uh, there is a barrier to entry. Yeah. And so oftentimes the market will either keep those barriers up because it benefits them, or they'll knock it down because they see the the whole picture. Um, and certainly uh, rent control is not something we'll be seeing in Gainesville anytime soon. What about uh, the power district and the stuff that was happening over there? Because wasn't there some good things happening, but then it kind of feels like it got paused. I don't know if that was because of COVID or, but where, what's happening out in that area right now? Yeah, so the power district for for, for those who aren't aware, it's basically the um, uh, it's basically northwest of Depot Park. It's a bunch of uh, old unused uh, sort of GRU land um, that is sort of fallen into not necessarily disrepair, but it's basically vacant. The city uh, wanted to invite a mixed use proposal uh, to basically develop it into um, more uh, retail, more housing, uh, more public space. Uh, there were some beautiful renditions of, of what it could look like. It would basically be sort of like a, almost a second depot park area, right, right next to more housing, right next to more business space. Um, and essentially there was a, a proposal that the city accepted, but uh, that company uh, basically sold to another company. Uh, so it was a completely new uh, uh, designer, completely new owner. Um, and as I've become, um, you know, I, I'm sure some viewers would appreciate this. Uh, I like to be a good steward of the public dollar. And if I'm going to make this huge sale of city land to, uh, people that I have not been dealing with and they just sort of entered the door. Um, I think we need to put a pause on that. So I hope they, I hope the new owners apply cause we re put it out, put it out for another bid. So I hope they do reply if they're interested. Um, uh, but, uh, we'll see, we'll see that come to fruition. I think there was, I think three applicants when that first came out. So I wouldn't be surprised if those same three apply. What, what's next for you after all this, man? I mean, you stay in the in the political. <laughs> well, after this, I'm world, going. Or? I'm going to bed. <laughs> um, but uh, I'm I'm grateful for the job that I have right now. I think that uh, in due time, I'll get to figure out what's next for me. Um, but uh, I learned a very important lesson after my first election. Um, I ran against a really a really fine gentleman by the name of Craig Carter, uh, and him and I are friends now. Uh, actually, if you can believe that, um, he actually just texted me today. Um, He's a great guy. He is, he is. And uh, seeing the fact that somebody like Craig, who had great service, um, got to serve for a fixed amount of time, I know that at the end of the day, my time will be fixed at some point. So if I spend too much time thinking about the next step, 
I'm probably gonna lose sight of the opportunities that are right in front of me. So I've still got another year in my term and I intend to do the most that I can with it. Awesome. Before I wrap up, one of the thing, one of the ideas that I've had. So I'm just gonna put, I'm just gonna plant this seed. Okay. Uh, one of one of the ideas that I've had was doing like a mastermind type session, mm-hmm. and we've done this before. Like we were doing it every ten episodes, and we kind of moved it to every twenty five episodes. But we'll like kind of change the set, have a larger group in here, more people around the microphone, and have a conversation about a specific topic. Um, one of the things that kind of sparked to me was like, man, it would be so beneficial if we could do that and have some of you guys in here. Like, is that, could we get a couple of city commissioners in here with a couple business owners and not talk, a, not talk a couple, um, cause we'd be talking policy. Uh, and in Florida we have, we're the only state in the union that has this law. Um, but I can't have policy conversations uh, with my colleagues if it's not in a publicly noticed meeting. Okay. Um, so, but you, we could have one. You'd, you'd have to do it one at a time. Okay. Um, and uh, and and you know, would I mean, you be up for I, it? I came here, so um, yeah. you know, send me the details, and you know, I'd be happy to consider it. I I, I like having the opportunity to uh, share my views, and I like having the opportunity to hear other people's perspectives. Yeah, and, and I appreciate that. I kind of knew. I mean. Just going into this, man, I was like, yeah, I was a little nervous, you know. But but I knew you like we'd met before. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, I'm like, man, like we have to have real conversations, ones that even make me uncomfortable. And and I've said it multiple times, I'm not an expert in all this stuff. I want to hear various perspectives. Um, and I appreciate when people say, you know, I appreciate yours and. And there's people that I go back and forth with on <laughs> Instagram is a popular place for DMs <laughs> for me, uh, where, where I share, you know, we share links back and forth. Hey, this is what I'm seeing. What are you seeing? Because again, kind of talking about the social media and a lot of the polarization of, yeah. you know, it's, it's easy for me to constantly see one viewpoint and be mm-hmm. stuck over in this one viewpoint. So I'm asking the, the friends of mine who have a different viewpoint, what, what, where, where are you getting your information from? Where are you getting your data from? Send me the links. And, and that, that, that really helps. The one thing that I know about the two of us is that we have a huge heart and passion for Gainesville, Florida. And there's a lot of good in just that. You know, even if we disagree on things, there's a lot of good in just that. So if we can sure. continue to work to find common ground and to have healthy discussion, I'm all, I'm all about it. And I hope that this will this show will benefit a lot of other people and um, just be one step closer to a better Gainesville. Well, I think we're I think we're on our way. Um, this city uh, is very unique, uh, not just in the sense that we have um, you know one of the top. Uh, universities in in the world really yeah um it's unique because uh we have people who really care about it we have people who choose to be here uh and people who want to see it thrive no matter what um there's sort of this like homey like southern feel to it but still this uh sort of uh i don't know if you can quite call it a northern vibe i've lived in the north (laughs) before it's a very different feeling up there but um i think that gainesville is a place that is just full of love uh, for everybody. Uh, and so, you know, I like to, I like to brag, um, in the summer of 2020, when cities across this country were tearing, it's tearing themselves apart. The, the violence that was happening, uh, all across the country was harrowing. That didn't happen in Gainesville. There were no riots. There were no fires. There was no police officers murdering people in the streets. You had harmony and you had love. 
And I think that this city represents that. And I think that's really the heart of this city. And so I think as long as we're focusing on those things, we're going to be just fine. Thanks for coming on the show, man. I appreciate you. Yeah, I appreciate you. And you guys, I can't do this without the incredible team around me. Um, They just put in an incredible amount of work to prepare for this each and every week. Um, So mad love to James Leitner, Sarah Lance, and to our awesome intern team, Trinity, Gianna, and Noah. Appreciate you guys so much. And can't do it without sponsors. People exactly like Jorge that allow conversations like this one to happen. Please go to whoagnv.com slash sponsors and support these incredible businesses that have the same heart that David and I have for Gainesville. Please support them. And um, you can find the links to them also in our show notes and in the descriptions on YouTube and that kind of thing. And um, please share this episode with somebody. Uh, Please leave us a review. Please email me. Email me at Colin, C-O-L-L-I-N, at whoagnv.com and let me know the conversations that you want me to have or somebody that you think would be great to come in to the studio and have a conversation with me. You know, it's so funny because a lot of people have really been asking me, yo, Colin, how are you going to grow the podcast to, you know, like beyond Gainesville? You know, how how are you going to build this brand beyond Gainesville? And my intent is not to focus on that. My intent is to focus on Gainesville and building Gainesville. It's the whole reason we started the show. Uh, I I will be fine forever if this is a Gainesville podcast. Um, But that means we need Gainesville to listen and to participate in the conversation. So please share this with people in our community and uh, subscribe to us on YouTube. And be sure when you connect with our sponsors, you tell them, I heard you on the WHOA GNV podcast. The podcast bring you businesses and individuals that make you go, whoa. Give us your best whoa, David. Whoa. <laughs> we will see you later. Bye, guys. Mm-hmm.